छात्र अमिस्त्रोबीन हजार Okay, I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. Hi, welcome to Don't Read the Latin. I'm Jennifer Lovely. I'm Raya Small. And... Hi, I'm special guest Jillian Venters. <laughs> so, everyone, what have you seen lately? I've only, in terms of new movies, I've only seen stuff you've shown me. Yeah. So, so uh, I, The Hole in the Ground. What did you think I of The Hole really, in the Ground? I really, really liked that. That was a great sort of changelings, maybe aliens sort of thing. Yeah, I, I liked that one a lot too because they didn't ex overly explain the monsters. Yes, thank you for a previewing so you could give me the <laughs> close your eyes, oh my god, spiders warning. I deeply I, appreciate that. I really enjoyed Hole in the Ground and then we watched um, Overlord, <laughs> which I really liked. On a um, day where we really needed to see Nazis get their faces punched in. Yeah, and it until they fun. died from it. It was, it was silly fun. I, it was. I felt like it was very very much a Delta Green adventure. So oh, yeah. Of course, I immediately went to Comic-Con and forced Dan Jelen to watch it. Good. I'm like, Good. no, you need to watch this right now. It is always important to make Dan watch things. Um, the other thing, media-wise, I've watched recently was I watched All of Umbrella Academy and really liked it. Okay, even I haven't even started it. So. It is. It expands a whole lot from the comic. No, doesn't matter because I read the comic. So, but it's really fun. It's really it fun. Really they do is. some interesting things with the characters. Little Gerard's doing a good job. <laughs> good job, Gerard. We love you. And then I've been reading a lot. Okay. So I reread one of my favorite vintage gothic romances, The Vampire of Mora, by uh, Virginia Kaufman, who is, who is considered one of the leading lights of the genre. And then, because I am nothing if not predictable, I read a scholarly book called The Gothic Romance Wave, A Critical History of the Mass Market Novels from 1960 to 1993, which was awesome because it actually <laughs> discussed some of my views about vintage gothic romances and how they were Ooh. subversively feminist. And yeah. some of the, the We need to do an episode of The Night Library. We absolutely do. And But the only problem is, is it's giving me a whole bunch more reference and fiction books that I really want to... By right now, including one that you are having difficulty finding, the Sutter House. By uh, by Ellen Orfted, but someone linked me to a copy on Abe Books, so there you that go. is coming to me. Yay! And then I just started reading last night something that was a groundbreaking Gothic romance published in 1980, and it's called Gaywick. I have been wanting to read that since 1980. It is available. <laughs> it is available digitally now. It is available on Kindle, so you don't have to pay unreasonable collectible prices for a paperback. Yeah, it's but it's impressive. a gothic. Ro it was the first gothic romance about a male male couple. Wonderful. It hits all the standard gothic romance notes and tropes from what I've been able to tell. I mean, you know, the young young man goes to this mysterious manor house to catalog the library and falls in love with the brooding. Lord of the Manor, but it is 
See, it I've is been, a gay gothic romance. I've been very much wanting to write a gothic romance. Well, I'm getting some books about but, some of the things you need to look at for that, so... But I wanted to do a gender-reversed one, where it is a young man who comes to the house, and the brooding older woman terrifies and captivates it. Oh, I haven't seen one so like it's that. it's not Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> yeah. but... But it's got that vibe, except it's going to be set in the Gothic era. Right. Which, it, as you know, is an artificial period of time. Somewhere around the Victorian era, but not actually historically researched. No, not at all. We scoff at historical research for exactly. Gothic. So we just call it the Gothic Romance era. I, I'm always really fond of uh, horror movies where... I, I, I like to call it in the time that wasn't. Yes. Where mm-hmm. it, it seems out, out of out of the timeline a little bit yeah. because it borrows from a lot of different things. The only time and I have lost I my temper write. about something like that was when the when NBC was doing the show of Dracula, mm-hmm. which was really just oh. steampunk with yeah, Dracula pasted on. Yeah, and no, the, sorry. And I started, the, the like, drunken. the drunken, I've had three cups of glasses of absinthe and everyone else is live blogging my reaction, and I got really <laughs> mad at the costuming. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Jonathan Reesmeyer. <laughs> I still have a fond spot for you in your in my heart because of Velvet Goldmine. But you almost crossed a line. Uh, yeah, that was you almost crossed a line. That was when you embraced Thomas Edison. Oh man! But so that's my media experience recently. All right. Well, I've seen a lot because the thing is, it's I've I've been digging for media lately because I've I've I felt like I've been having difficulty finding new horror films to watch. And I've been watching a lot of comfort media, and I've been reading a lot of comfort books, rereading a whole bunch of fantasy series that feel like giant hugs to me, because <laughs> apparently that's just what I needed right now. Mercedes um, Lackey was at Comic-Con, and I said, oh! and I was like, oh, I wanted Jan's books to get I signed. know, I know, I have been, like, literally reading my way through the entirety, yeah. Um, but I do have a little bit of Jen's documentary corner. Uh, I went to see uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. Uh, oh, I saw that and I loved it. It was fantastic. And <laughs> my favorite point is uh, they're starting to, you're starting to see this a lot more where you go to see films in the theater where they have a little opening bit by the director or perhaps some of the stars right. in the film where they're like, Thank you for supporting this in the theater. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and Peter Jackson has a little, you know, beforehand mention, and he, you know, he, he said words, things came out of his mouth, and what I heard was, hey, girl, I heard you like documentaries, so here's some documentary with your documentary. And so what they did is, after the end credits, they did a small 30-minute uh, documentary on, you know, why... The restoration and the making the restoration of the Oh, very cool. Because basically, oh my God, he's such a nerd. He, oh, he's such a nerd. He's such a nerd, and he's he's back to he's back to squishy. I oh, mean, he's not he's not yeah. full Peter he's, Jackson squishy. That's fine. But and oh no, there's <laughs> he's hobbity squishy. He's yes. <laughs> I I understand that you love hobbits. It's okay. I do. It's because I'm part hobbit. <laughs> um, Don't make me take these socks off. <laughs> I know. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, uh, so the documentary itself was a commission. Um, uh, by the British government because they wanted to celebrate uh, the, uh, w- the centennial of the ending of World War I. Um, and it's, it's so funny because it's like, you know, you see online, you'll, you'll hear people say, you know, 30 years ago, and to people of our age, we go, well, 30 years ago, that was like 1970. And it's not. It's not. <laughs> and so Ooh. it's like hearing that we're hitting the 100 year of 1919, 
it like holy shit yes um but they said they really wanted him to do something different with the footage that they had and so he basically um uh changed it to put it at speeds that would be used today to right. make it look like we see now right, which, right. Which because back then when they took film it was someone cranking a camera, camera. Yeah. You got your film and so speed. it could be at all kinds of different speeds which is one of the things that he talks about mm-hmm. yeah um it was very hard to standardize know, he, it yeah he said yeah. it could be at like a half a second off in either direction and people are like oh and it, and it's, slower, and yeah what do we do if it's too much either way just a tiny bit your mind notices it and it's and it, it changes the entire yeah. experience yeah it's very disconcerting um, and it was beautifully done and there is so i mean he he do, definitely has them at like normal speeds but there is a a section in the movie where all of a sudden it goes to full screen and he colorizes mm-hmm. it in a very what yeah, feels very natural right, way. Well, it starts off with you looking at the fo- footage the way it was. So you're seeing old black and white footage that's kind of jumpy and scratched up. And then all of a sudden it be- it goes full screen. It becomes perfectly clear and it's in color. And everyone I... in the theater just went, <gasps> it was so good. Because you, you literally feel like you feel your stomach fall out like you've you've gone on a roller coaster right. and and there's a, a a hill there and uh-huh. and it's just it's mind blowing and yeah. um it's it, the wizard of oz effect it, it is, is the, the wizard, wizard of, oz of oz effect it completely is and it was but it's just absolutely fantastic and there's terrifying stories in it oh by people that survived the war they yeah. sound real cheerful when they're telling them which is messed up the, it, well the thing is is on top of it uh, they had a whole bunch of interviews from the soldiers right. that were done right. by the government. So all of the voices in the film that you hear are, are the, the actual guys that lived through the oh, stuff telling wow. their stories. And, you know, um, talking about how there was, you know, they did not allow. And the thing is, you hear this from survivors of um, World War II also. Mm-hmm. Where there was an expectation for them not to talk about their trauma. Yeah. And, right. Well, that was in the past. And also, you know... I mean, I think I think I knew this to a small extent, but also having it right in my face, hearing, you know, Vietnam vets did not have the market cornered on being treated like shit when they came home. Oh from no, the war. no, no! Like every time we bring vets home, because we've managed to survive without them and and fill those jobs, it's like all of a sudden you've got this influx of men who, who need work, need and work, who, and there's no work for them because it's been filled by people who couldn't go to the war. war. And yeah, it yeah. was just—it's just a wonderful documentary. You're it gonna is. be buying it as soon as it comes out. I think my favorite part <laughs> is when Peter Jackson is talking about how, in the silent footage, they have lots of films of heavy World War II guns being rolled around, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that he wanted to make sure when he got the sound that he got the sounds right. And then he says, "So, well, um, I happen to have a collection of World War One artillery." So we just got like it out you and do. around in the mud to yeah. get those sounds. And we and got, like, and we got the color right. And we got uh, the color right on the costumes because I happen to have and own a lot of the World actual War I. uniforms. So when we were looking at this hat with this red ribbon on it, I have one of those hats and we brought it into color magic. God bless him. I know. It bless made his me love nerdy, him nerdy so much. That's awesome. Yeah. Nerdy little heart. Um not to spend all the time, but um the other uh, documentary that I saw was, um, I saw The Green Book, um, A Guide to Freedom, which is a documentary that was done on The Green Book that was created. And it's another one of the situations where um, you think this, 
there's so many people who discount the civil rights movement saying, well, it's in the past. It was so long ago. And it had, it's interviewing all of these people that are talking mm-hmm. about their specific experiences. Some of that stuff happened while I was alive. Exactly. I was born in 1964. That it's, is... Yeah, the yeah. height. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And the thing is, is this isn't very far back. No. Nope. And, and it is, you know, the things that were happening then are happening now. And they're stepping mm-hmm. things back and taking away, you know... It, it, I think it's very important for people to realize, and and also not just fucking watch the nominated movie because it is a very much a whitewashing and a white savior and mm-hmm. a watch the documentary. Watch, watch. <laughs> even even though I have not seen the documentary, this is something where I will totally come down on watch the documentary instead of the movie because yeah. you want the you, you want the true stories. You don't want the exactly. if you are interested in the Green Book, but you but you like horror. There's a movie called Lovecraft country about a guy who writes for the green book who ends up finding out who ends up having to travel north and they have to do things like they have to pack all the food for a week because you don't know if yeah, you're you can stop anywhere stop. Yeah. you know they talk about that yeah my friend Jana's parents every time they would go on a trip would do that and she's like why are we bringing so much food and they're like we don't know if we can stop it this was in the 70s yeah and on top because of it it's what they had grown up with and, exactly and, and People's, people in the hospital and, and hospitals and sheriff's departments would be like, well, they cause so many accidents when they drive through here. Well, they cause accidents because they're fucking exhausted. And because they're driving because, fast to get away from the crazy white people who are going to lynch them. And, and yeah. they're just exceedingly tired because they've been driving for 23 hours because there's literally nowhere safe for them to sleep. Right, exactly. There were no hotels. Exactly. There were two places in Seattle where African-American people could stay. Yeah. When they were traveling through, and they're both guest houses, and if they were full, then they're full. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw Captain Marvel. Saw it twice actually because we uh, Jim and I went by ourselves on opening weekend because we wanted to throw money at that opening weekend, and apparently so did fucking everyone else. So in your goddamn face, white cry butt, cry baby, cry butt, cry butt, cry butt babies. Yes, yes. And they, yeah. Anyway, it's full of. Thinking insults at you, you man babies. Private babies. Private babies. Um, it was absolutely fantastic, and I was a little worried about about Goose. Goose's evolution scaring. Is that a character? It's the kitty. Don't oh. tell me anything else. I have not seen it yeah, yet. Neither one of us have seen it. All so right, leave it at that. You have anyway. ruined the fact that there is now. We know there's a cat in it. His name is Goose. He's probably it's ruined everything. He's probably named after Goose from Top Gun. <laughs> Actually, you're probably right. <laughs> Ruin even more. <laughs> well, I absolutely loved it. I've actually never seen Top Gun. Neither have I, and I don't want to. Nobody Neither wants do to I. but me. I've seen a, a fan bit of the supercut of the homoerotic scenes. <laughs> I have Does seen that count? it performed on stage by drunken drag queens. Nice. As a stage I movie. would perhaps watch I, it like I that. I would watch that. I had to watch the original movie first, and then I went and watched the stage reading, and... I can never look at it the same way again. It was great. So, my other thing that I watched, and, okay, so I watched The Favorite, which I absolutely loved. And, so, we kept kind of arguing because you both were like, the the trailer read as a comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it never read comedically to me. And so, I kept thinking, maybe we watched a different trailer. So, what happened, so after I watched the movie, I watched the trailer again. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, it's the speedy pacing. It's it's these things. But the thing is, 
growing up in the home that I did, that was full of abuse and spite and people pitting against each other, there was so much underlying nastiness in everything that it never read as funny to me because all I saw was that, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be vicious. This so, is going to be vicious and mean. And, and that is, it's absolutely like people who are in a time frame, in a time period where they have very little power and they're given power and how that goes really, really wrong. How do you feel about Heather's? I loved Heather's. Okay. But I can see, but, but okay, so did you saw the movie? But you, I, have, but I haven't you seen it yet. And you didn't. I saw very it. Much I did enjoy not. It. I did not like it. Okay. And how you? I mean, Heather's. I mean, I guess it's comedic. I don't know, but there's a See, lot of play for comedy. High bar okay. for costume drama, mm-hmm. for bitchy costume drama, because uh, as you may not know, Dangerous Liaisons was my bible for several. Mm-hmm. Years. Very bad years of my life. I remember those years. What I appreciate from... Oh, it was worse before I moved to Seattle. Oh, God. What I appreciate from the favorite is there's so much with... I mean, I love Dangerous Liaisons, too. Um, but what I love is is men exist in the favorite, mm-hmm. and they're pushed way off to the fuck to the side. Yeah, it's not about them. It's it about is these not. three and women. Yeah, vying for everything. Okay. And it's and it's ugly and it's mean and none of it ends well okay. and I don't know so it was court just, intrigue it, in that era yes, exactly okay. yes it's, it's and I did I mean there are a lot of things I liked about it I loved Olivia Coleman I'm so glad she won an Oscar because mm-hmm. she's just the best in general yeah um and I liked that they weren't pushing that character to be glamorous and beautiful mm-hmm. they're like oh she's the queen no she's gonna be gross. Yeah. Good. No, she's a queen that drew the short straw in so many fucking mm-hmm. ways. Like yeah. as a historical figure, she was just she yeah. was just fucked. Yeah. Period. Um and they completely rolled with that. Um so anyway, I really I really enjoyed it and when I and looking at it through different lenses when I watched the the um the trailer. The trailer for it, I see where you guys are coming from now. Okay. Um it's just that kind of that it's kind of meanness not, overrides other it's things. It's not just to me. the trailer, though. There are interviews with the actresses where mm. they talk about how hilarious this movie is. Yeah, and I'm like, it's not a, it's not. Yeah, it's you know, and, and, I and I've seen those like yeah. kind of cruel movies where it's it's cruel with wit, with wit. But and I didn't feel it was that witty. <laughs> well, I will. I will end up watching it sometime in the near future. You absolutely should. There's some great performances and some gorgeous costumes. Excellent. I mean, it's not something you shouldn't watch because it's terrible it's something that i personally didn't enjoy i will watch a lot of terrible movies for good costumes we know this <laughs> yes you will <laughs> yes uh the other thing that i watched um i saw the original unfriended when it came out and it made me really angry because all of the people in it were really hateful i didn't feel sad when any of them died because they just were awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd heard a lot of really good things about um, Unfriended the Dark Web. And I kind of, when I rated it on Letterboxd, I rated it with an, an added review of, I was unhappy with the ending because I felt like I'd seen it done in another movie, which I really loved specifically because it had that ending. Um, but I, I wanted to give it a pretty high review because I hit play on that movie. 
and I was literally on the edge of my seat um, and very anxious. And um, basically the gist of it is this guy who he's trying to, he's trying to write this computer program because his girlfriend's deaf. And she's really upset that he won't actively learn to sign to mm-hmm. communicate with her. Right. Um, and he's got his own anxiety issues, which were kind of the driving force behind that. Yes, I did get um, the Shirley <laughs> biography. Um, <laughs> um, and so he's he's writing on he, this program on a, on a computer that he will look up the sign for a thing mm-hmm. and tie it to the spoken word so that he'll say a sentence and hit a button and it'll sign it to her. Um, and it, you know, I mean, the thing is, that would have a use. But there's a whole lot of nuances about positioning yeah, of there where really the is. sign is. There, there really is. So, anyways, computer's a piece of shit, and he's, you know, a young guy, and um, he keeps going to this coffee house that's kind of like a computer coffee house, and he keeps seeing this computer just sitting there for a couple of weeks, and nobody's picking it up. So he takes it home goes into it and and he's like oh yeah i got it off of craigslist and he starts skyping with all of his friends where they they play board games together because some of them are out, out of the country well anyway um there's stuff that happens because he took the computer mm-hmm. and it starts affecting all of his friends and what irritates me is if you've ever seen the movie the den there's some real similarities with it and i really loved the den because because of the wrap-up that they did mm-hmm. And it's the exact same thing here, and it just it just seems kind of cheap too. And I know there's you know there's no new stories anymore, mm-hmm. but I was like, oh yeah. But the fact that with everything that was happening, um, my kitties are also members of the podcast. Hi, um, I really I really enjoyed it. Like literally up until that last like seven minutes of it, and uh, thought it was you know really really exciting and really kind of scary uh, for. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, and the last thing I actually just watched today, um, I watched Imitation Girl, finally, with um, Lauren Ashley Carter. Right. Um, it's a first-time director, um, and she's Iranian. And uh, Natasha uh, Kermani. And uh, it it gets... Um, it is it is a lower budget. It's, it's kind of a simpler kind of film. And it gets compared a lot to Under the Skin. Hmm. Um, uh, an alien comes down out of the sky and sees, uh, basically a porno make on the, on the ground. And it's a picture of, of, um, Lauren Ashley Carter in this like little negligee and she takes her form and she crash lands in like, I think like Arizona, somewhere in the Southwest. And this, um, Iranian couple or like a brother and sister, you kind of get the thing, um, find her and kind of, I mean, she, she, doesn't know how to do anything, barely know, like, and, and basically kind of quickly takes, they just, and they just take her in and, you know, teach her how to do anything. And, and it's just treated as completely normal. And she's very, the alien is, um, who I think they call her, they, they go by imitation, um, is sweet and innocent and charming and picks up like English and Farsi and all of the dialogue between the brother and sister I believe the brother and sister is in Farsi um, which cool. is a wonderful thing cool. considering like 90% of the time they'll have them speak English um, and then you have her character that is 
you know, this young woman who's working in porn, who was kind of viewed as kind of a prodigy piano mm-hmm. student and runs into her piano teacher who's like, you should really try out to, to be accepted into the school. And, and she's just, she's a fuck up and she's unhappy and she doesn't know if, if what she's doing with her life is what she wants to be doing with it. Mm-hmm. And, and the actress just like, there's no question that they're completely separate. I mean, I know acting, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you do that, Pasha Stewart? Acting. But it's it's done so well that you never question that they're two completely different people. And I'm not going to, I'm not jumping up and down saying I absolutely loved it, but I thought a lot of it. It was a, an interesting take. Um, I've heard good things about it. You are not the, yeah, the only person who I've heard good things from. Weird. And I don't know. But, you know. Did you see uh, Cam? I haven't. And it's on my list of things that... It's really... I liked it a lot. I thought the girl that was in it was really good. Um, But it's kind of along the same lines. See, it's movies like Cam and... um, When I was talking about doing, like, movies about social media and the internet, it's stuff like Cam and Searching. And there's, you know, a bunch of others that, you know... I just think it could be an interesting conversation, maybe at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that there's a lot of internet and social media. Like, did you see Tragedy Girls? Yeah. I remember you... Yeah, she was with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I just remember, because I don't think you liked it. I think Jilly really, really yeah, liked it. Yeah, because I don't like social media and internet movies. Well, I know, but you just said you liked Cam. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know, because they're... But I'm just saying... I, it, but it wasn't a movie I ever... W- I'm going to seek out or watch again. Yeah. It was an okay throwaway movie for a Sunday afternoon. I need to watch Tragedy Girls again. <laughs> Tragedy Girls is so charming. I really liked that movie. <laughs> was there anything else that you've seen lately that wasn't for uh, the theme today? Not really. Not really. Okay. I haven't got my. I haven't looked at my letterbox, so I don't know. Okay. Um, the only other movie that I watched was kind of for today's theme, which um, we are doing. Um, uh, movies that originally came from novels. Um, and I'm, I'm keeping that a little open because um, actually one of the first graphic novels I ever read, which was the other movie that I've watched this week, which was Silver Bullet um, with Cycle of the Werewolf. Um, and I haven't, I've, I've never really been a graphic novel or comic person. And so it's one of the few that I actually, you mm-hmm. know, found on my own and, and read through. I, I didn't know it was a graphic novel. Yeah. yeah. I just had the Stephen King book with the illustrations by Murray Wrightson. That's it's. There are enough illustrations that there are people who kind of. Oh, okay. Is it is okay. it a graphic novel or is it a heavily illustrated novella? So. I say no word bubbles, no graphic novel. I say heavily <laughs> illustrated novella. Um, so. Bring them, bring them on. What are your? Uh, um, I'm not going in any particular order, but two yeah. movies that I want to talk about, and I feel like they're kind of linked, are both Stanley Kubrick films. And the first one is 19... <laughs> Can you read your own 1970K is apparently when this movie came out, according yes. to my notes. One Man 7K. Uh, it's A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. And what I like about A Clockwork Orange as a film and as a book, even though it's super problematic and rapey, I really loved the way that Stanley Kubrick took every word in that book and put it on the screen. Yes. 
It is one of the most faithful film adaptations of a book I've ever seen. It's much yeah. like how Rosemary's Baby is one of another one of those insanely yeah. faithful adaptations. Exactly. And so I I like that film. It was a film that taught me a lot about film. It'll probably show up later in a podcast because I talk about it a lot because mm-hmm. it was a very groundbreaking film for me to have seen when I saw it. Um, and the other film actually is a horror film. I think Copper Orange might be science fiction, but... It's got a lot of horror elements. And I will say that I have always loved horror. Um, uh, Clockwork Orange is one of the few movies that I started, I I was like 19 or 20 the first time I tried to watch it, and I had to turn it off. Uh, The violence, I felt the the violence really upsetting. I rewatch it pretty regularly. And And I I will not judge you for that. Well, hey, I don't re- judge you on the films you rewatch regularly. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking so, about. I, mean, I don't I, have a list here. I was able to watch it entirely through after I'd read the book, and it it right. It, like once I had like exposed myself to to the story, I was able well, to I watch feel, it and not have it hurt me as much. I feel like Clockwork Orange is very much the train spotting of its era. Oh yeah. Oh, they I are totally both films agree. with young psychopaths in the lead who do horrible things and yet ultimately are the kind of characters you kind of root for yes. even though they're doing horrible horrible things so when it came out and you know my dad's a big science fiction fan so he wanted to go see it so he took mom to see it and told her nothing <laughs> nothing thinking <laughs> That he wanted to go see this, much like how, you know, I ended up seeing Kentucky Fried Movie when I was, like, nine. Oh, my God. Well, Kentucky Fried Movie is made for nine-year-olds. Oh, man. <laughs> but, so, yeah, Mom had no idea what she was walking into, and that, it is, it was a thing that got brought up in family arguments. See, I saw Clockwork Orange while sneaking into a friend's house late at night after I, I climbed out of my window and went down the street to my best friend's house because they had showtime. Ooh. And I got to watch a Clockwork Orange late at night because it was a forbidden film. Yep. And it wasn't forbidden for nearly the reasons I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping for more of a young lady chatterly situation. Oh, no. No. <laughs> So the other film that I have that compares to A Clockwork Orange is from 1980. It's also a Stanley Kubrick film. It's The Shining. The Shining is considered by a lot of people to be one of the best horror films ever made, but it is not a no. straight-up adaptation. of. No, it is not. Kubrick so, threw a lot of his own weirdness in there. And, you know, having... I, I, I finally finished up um, the uh, History of Horror, the Eli, Eli Roth oh, yeah. History of Horror, and um, he actually interviews and speaks with Stephen King, and The Shining gets brought up. And I guess not terribly surprising, but I, sh- I, sh- I, I share an opinion with Stephen King, because my issues with it are, is that Jack's one note yeah. through the entire movie. There is no progression is. into madness. He is. There's no progression into madness. You see that guy driving that Volkswagen He's up a, to that place for yeah. that job the and interview. Go, the I'll interview. Some people in that hedge maze. That the interview. Yeah. He's like. He looks like he's about to start chewing on something. Yeah. The um, scenery. Yes. To and be exact. He does. <laughs> um, I agree. But cinematically, it's amazing. My my also my other big grievance with it is. Um, because of uh, Kubrick's treatment of Shelley, that her her performance what? is so hysterical, like mm-hmm. it breaks my heart. I saw this um, at a like a, a horror um, 
they were having, they were showing all of these at, Cine, at Cinerama, and seeing it on the big screen, and as soon as Shelly comes in and she's terrified, the entire audience starts laughing at her, <gasps> because she's a laughing stock, because he basically made her do it, like, over a hundred times, telling her to right, do it that's differently. Right, the thing was, he would do a hundred takes of yeah. every scene with every actor. And, and, but he would never tell, he would just say, they do would it never differently. never tell you if it was good. Just and, do it different. And the thing is, is but yeah. but and he was also really fucking cruel to women on the set. Whereas like the guys would be like, yeah, he had me do it a bunch of times, but he wasn't like a complete prick. He to wasn't me, but telling me I was doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was terrible. Um, so it's just you know, like on the basically set of Rebecca ruining yes. Lawrence Olivier being so mean to the woman that was in yeah. the lead in that. It's like that's one of my favorite movies, but she's an actress. Let her give her a chance to be an actress. Yes, don't just. But cinematically, yeah. cinematically, like there was so much. It is such an iconic. I know. Like, it is iconic. everything. The carpet. The carpet. The yeah. The carpet. carpet. The kid on the tricycle going down the long. The hallway. two twins. Like I the have. Twins don't I don't I always forget about them. I don't really. Care I have them. you know the I have the room key. Right. Mm-hmm. Like on my on a, a key thing that says red room, you know, and. Yeah, it is a great movie. But the movie makes me really angry. I'm a little concerned about the sequel that's coming out. You know what? I've read the, what have, now? have you read the book? Oh, you and McGregor yeah. is playing a little the little Torrance boy Danny, all grown up. As an adult. The, the whole the it's book came Dr. out like Sleep. ten years ago. It's called Doctor oh, Sleep. Oh so Doctor Sleep like, is a sequel. Yes. Okay, I didn't I have not read that. I haven't Sleep. read Doctor Sleep, I but have. it does star you and McGregor and so I am bound by law to see it. Yeah, I have. Know. It's it's good. I mean it's not on par with the shining. Um, and I don't know. And it's being directed by Mike Flanagan. So, okay. Okay. So that's, those, that's kind of my number one is just because it really interests me to watch Kubrick's films in a way and see what a faithful adaptation is like and what just crazy brain. Freewheeling and. Yeah. yeah. What can I do to this to make it cinematically perfect, but story-wise a little weak. Right. Um, one of the most amazing things is there's a uh, channel on on YouTube that does movie theory and and deep research into into films and one of the things he talks about is how the um like the what would you call it the architectural layout of the shining can't exist in in the film as it is right um and that's part of what makes it so uncanny and uncomfortable as you're watching right. it. It's like you would know that room does not attach to that room. And you can't go that way and have a window outside. And then it's just like, he's like, it's part of what makes it almost like you're like, but that can't, right. that doesn't there, work that's that one way. Of the thing. There's a movie about, just about the conspiracies about The Shining. Right. I keep meaning to watch that. Room it's 213. Pretty, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty boring. It's pretty okay. wacky. But it's interesting to see all these people that have these crazy thoughts. Look, that picture on the wall back there is a centaur, and it's yep. obviously a skier. Yeah, like that means something because it brings yeah. in the sun of Sagittarius. Uh, there's a, a guy who talks all about, you know, he believes that Kubrick faked the moon landing. Oh, and, right, and that, made the footage and that for you it. You can see that if you watch The Shining, you can tell. Okay. He's admitting and, to it. Right, he's admitting to it right here on film. So it's pretty goofy, and it's. Okay, maybe I won't watch it then. It goes on and on for a I while. I wish I could loan it to you, but it's something about VOD. Right. Um, I watched it, and it yeah. originally pissed me off, because I was expecting something like that deep in look into, like, See, why it doesn't work, and instead I, it was it was about fanaticism and people who, who create their own meaning. Yeah, but it wasn't really a, 
about that it was just letting people who are fanatics rattle on. But see, I really love crazy film theories that are stupid and make no sense. <laughs> I have a certain fondness for them, so yeah. Um, if you don't think Qui-Gon Jinn is actually Anakin's father, you are deluded! <laughs> um, I am just going to briefly um, roll this a little tiny bit back and say that Rebecca is on my list because it's oh, one of those that I've, I've read the book and love the movie. It's not on my list, and so good on you. There we go. All right. It's not on my list, but just because I I have a very specific genre I am focusing on. Go I on. Look surprised. Guess what it is. All right. I well, I've got it, a couple is, of those. it is it is your turn. So All right. You... So the first one I want uh, my my genre is of course vampire movies because yeah. because vampire movies. Those are the books you read. Those are the books I read. So the first one I want to talk about is actually two movies covering two books, but by the same author. Hello, Anne Rice. How are you with the Vampire Chronicles? The first, <laughs> the first three. So the adaptation, the movie of Interview with the Vampire is amazingly faithful, and in part because Anne Rice wrote the script. Yeah, she wrote the script. She's she worked very with the involved. director. Yes, she worked with the director. She worked with the costume designer, it Sandy Powell. As faithful as you can make that movie without it being five hours long. Yes, True. And, and I do love that movie. And I, I mean, she changes Louis's backstory a little bit. But other than that, it is it is straight up a faithful adaptation, except for the casting of Armand, and I will rant about that till the end of my life because while Antonio Banderas is playing a wonderful a Mr. Sexy Pants. is playing he a is. wonderful manipulative vampire character in the books, Armand is fifteen. God damn it, fifteen, and he's not wearing a bad wig. No, I'm sorry, Antonio, but you should never have let them put that dead cat on your head. Yes. I am one with Rias on this. But it is such a wonderful adaptation. And every now and then, in the, the younger side of fandom, you will you will see people who, who one, are like, well, how much did they amp up the homoeroticism in the movie? Oh, and we're like, they, they, they dropped it down, kids. They dropped it down. And then you get a lot of people who are like, this movie is complete was completely you know catnip for writing fanfic. Why can't we find any fanfic? No. And then the elders of the, the fandom have to explain. Well, well and, and sued people. We'll sue you yeah. if you write the fanfic. So that's oh. why everything is gone. Yeah. But the other side of the movies for the Vampire Chronicles is you know they completely skipped over the Vampire Lestat and they went straight to Queen of the Damned, which is in no and way a faithful adaptation. Movie called Queen of the Damned. Which is not a faithful adaptation at all. Oh no! It is a crazy crack movie, but oh my god, I love it. So I, much. I I love it. it, but that is not Lestat in that any is, way, shape, or Lestat is blonde, with his damn black it. hair. Oh. There's a great scene where he's standing in front of a giant billboard right in front of his own crotch, and that makes me laugh hysterically yes. every time I it see is, it. It is a great scene. That is the one true Lestat moment in that film. But I get, I, I mean, I like rewatching it, and what they did with the Akasha storyline. And Aaliyah was just breathtaking in it. She was great in it. The, that storyline is fairly, or mostly faithful to the book, but they changed so many things. Where, like, Marius is the person who turned Blistat, and then... Yeah, that's... And then the the Jesse Reeves character from the Telemasca is, is shoehorned in as this love interest for Lestat, and he oh, turns her. Worst. And and the actress who plays her because Lestat is, needs a girlfriend, otherwise people will think he's gay. Huh? In the books, he he admits to being bisexual. In the later books, just saying. But the actress who plays her, they could have replaced her with a plank of wood. She is not. She's very starry eyed. You call she's it starry like eyed. I think she was hitting on the back of the head with a hammer. 
Yeah, I I amuse myself by playing spot the lip service clothing line yes. and identifying them every time. Yeah, I can do that. We're like, oh, I know where those pants are from. I know which specific lip service line those are from. Mm-hmm. And the the big concert scene, the big Lestat rock concert scene, is great because they got a lot of the local goth scene to come be extras in that. So, sure. So there are real goths in there. That's awesome. And the actual music videos they filmed for the for the movie are fun. Hate the music yeah, for them. The music's terrible. Music's the terrible. Are fun. But the and videos, honestly, the guy playing Lestat could be a, is very very attractive. He is good as a vampire rock star, but he is not my egotistical stupid exactly. vampire rock star boyfriend. He is a beautiful, sexy vampire. Well, I don't know about the. Stuart, I'm not yeah. even sure he's sexy. Stuart Townsend. Townsend. Stuart Townsend. I'm not sure I find him sexy, but I do find him physically decorative. He is a decorative rock star vampire. See, exactly. But he's not mine. I was I was dating this just fucking idiot who, like, one of the <laughs> last things we did was he came over to my place and and we watched we watched Queen of the Damned and there there. And then I was like, why the fuck am I even watching this? <laughs> And then he continued to be fucking stupid, and then we broke up. And so, like, it, it is was, not a good not movie. Only, not only was it just not good, it just like it was just loaded with bad experience, and I've never right. I have never revisited it because it's it's a fine. It is a fine background movie. It is a great movie to have on when you're writing or doing something else. It is wonderful like, video wallpaper. You don't want to look directly at it for too long. No, <laughs> no. Like looking into the sun. It's yeah. Is and there any more uh, uh, Lestat that needs to be spoken about before? I kind of have hopes about the supposedly upcoming Vampire Chronicles yeah. TV show that is going to be on Hulu, where Anne Rice is directly involved, or some Christopher Rice's show run, or a, you know script consultant and executive producer. They just got a showrunner, and I can't remember who she is, but it's a. It's no, it's Bram Stoker's grandson. It's what's his no, name? no, Don Chris Stoker is. Involved, is involved as an executive producer, which I have my own problems with. But no, there was a there is a showrunner that's a woman that a, might be okay. A woman who's a queer director and was involved with a couple different queer themed TV shows. So that's that gives okay. me hope. Yeah. But they haven't even gotten around to casting yet. I think they have one script. I just we I all have, have our fingers crossed, yeah. but not too crossed as to scare away the vampires. Can't have. That's a different type of crossing of fingers. So, um, I'm going to... I actually uh, gave a rewatch to The Other, um, which is a uh, good twin, evil twin um, story from... It was uh, filmed in the 70s. It has really young John Ritter in it. Um, And I liked it as much as a... But the thing is, one of the things that made me sad is a lot of the mo- a lot of the ones I'm going to bring up tonight are ones that I actually have read the book, and I really wanted to re read the or to read the book. You can't fucking find it. It does not yeah. appear to exist anywhere. Um, and some of these some of these older movies that you know were made from novels, like the novels, just fell away and they oh. never got reprintings. You and can find them at library. Well, at old libraries, mm-hmm. I looked. I I, it, it, okay. I I I and I checked like the thrift books. I checked. Yeah. I checked a lot of the wacky, and it just does not seem to exist anywhere. Um, and that's hard because when you're talking about older movies, you could be remembering a novelization because those were super popular too. Mm. But I know that the other came out originally yeah, as a book, book because mm-hmm. I have read that book at yeah. some point. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's 
one of the things that I really like about it is um, it's pretty cruel. Um, it is. Isn't Elijah Wood in that? No, it's no. it's really old. Okay, it's, that's it's, the it's dark really half. Old. Yes, which is another evil twin yeah. movie. Um, and it's just it's you know, and it has a big reveal at the end. Um, and I just it's kind of set I think like along the 30s I think so it's, it's hitting that Americana mm-hmm. you know time frame um, that things like um, the uh, what's that one skin that's like kind of a vampire not a vampire the uh, oh begins with the V the anyway I'll have to describe so many of them um. <laughs> Ooh, not a vampire and um, but it's that you know it's it, it feels it feels like a, a dried plains kind of, you know, those houses in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Right. Right? Yeah, the Dust Bowl. The, a Dust Bowl kind of story. Um, and everything feels very, like, it's too sunny outside. Um, and it was just, but it's very scary. It's very vicious. Um, it's very willing to kill um, anyone. <laughs> and it's, it's you know, it's just one of those movies that isn't talked about very much, and I, I really, really enjoy it. I've been talking about showing it. Please um, do, because I've never seen the movie. I read the book way back when, but yeah, I've never seen the movie. It's really, really good. So, um, lofting over to Rias, what's your next? Um, my next movie is actually based on a short story called The Turn of the Screw. Oh, oh the yes. Oh, oh, is it on your list also? No, it, it is, is not on my list. On, it is on my I stayed my jo- I stayed subgenre okay. specific for mine, so. So it is based on Turn of the Screw. It's called The Innocence and it's directed by Jack Clayton, who also directed uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. So I did not know that! Huh! So it's weird to see these opposite ends of the horror spectrum with him. Um, but it stars Deborah Kerr. She is a young... She is a governess who's sent to a country house to take care of a girl and a boy. And she slowly becomes convinced that they are possessed by the spirits of people who used to live at the country house. Yep. Particularly an extremely lecherous gardener who was up to no good. Just, and it hits all of the gothic. It punches you in the face with its gothicness. I love yeah. that movie so much. Um, it's so beautiful. The little boy wants to be kissed goodnight, but it could be the evil gardener who's trying to seduce her. So there's this yeah. weird sexual interplay between Deborah Kerr and this child. And Which it's feels very, so uncomfortable. And it is and so uncomfortable. It's really wonderful. And um, it's, the movie does a very good job of capturing the ambiguity of the ending of the book, of the story. Oh yeah, it does. It's, it's a very ambiguous ending where you don't know if, is she crazy? Yeah. Or are they ghosts? Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Um, I think a theme I'm getting is movies lately that I like are things that don't explain the ending too much, like Hole yeah. in the Ground. Yeah. What happened? That hole could be a crater full of space aliens. It could be some kind of naked mole people. It could be fairies. There's so many different answers that you could put in there. And I feel kind and of that le- way about it. lets you leave your own interpretation on yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is an amazing Kate Bush fan video to the song <laughs> "Infant Kiss" that just uses footage from the Innocence, and it is amazing. Didn't they? Didn't the somebody send that video to Kate Bush, and she said, "Oh yes, that's 
that's what inspired me to write the yeah. song. Yeah, that song is definitely about that movie. Yeah. Just like Wuthering Heights is about, you know, Heathcliff. What a jerk, by the way. <laughs> One of the books of gothic romance canon that I just, I don't like. I don't either. Heathcliff is such a drip. Why are you loving him? It is It is not he my thing. Leaves, he runs off to Europe for a year and disappears for years at a time, and then she marries someone else who's nice to her and doesn't leave her to die on the moors like someone I could name. And then, <laughs> and then Heathcliff just comes back and is like, you married somebody else, I'm going to destroy your life. And then he does. Yeah. It it's a thing, and then it's the greatest romance in literature, and I do not get that. <laughs> I keep meaning to reread *Wuthering Heights* because somebody said if you go into it and reread it with the mindset of it's a psychological horror movie, it actually works better. Yeah. But I just it's so and it's so racist. There are so many the, other things I have to read right now. And a gypsy and yeah, it's 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 it is it's a product of its time. Yeah. I'm a I'm a Jane Eyre girl. <laughs> um, just uh, just because I finally looked it up, it's a reflecting skin. Is the, the oh, other movie? Oh, where it feels, yes. oh yeah, yeah. It feels like it lives in the same. That's universe. a weirdly disturbing film, but it in is. a really good way. Yes, but it, it feels like it's in the same time era, and it's yes. like the same color sense. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know. So that's my film. Is the Innocence highly recommended? And Jillian, for the next entry in my vampire novels turned into movies. <laughs> Is the hunger the no- original? Ooh, the original novel is by Whitley Strieber. Before and, he got abducted by the aliens. Yes, and oh my god! Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah! All of his later <laughs> books are no, no, no. I know. I mean, I know who he is. You didn't know he wrote the hunger. I did not know. He wrote oh yeah, he wrote the hunger, and the novel is. He may have also written the Howling. He wrote a werewolf novel. I don't remember. I don't know. Anyway. But the hunger, the the movie and the novel share. A broad framework in that, you know, Miriam Blaylock is this immortal vampire, and uh-huh. she, when she turns people, they age. That yeah, they, they, they don't d- get the immortality. He wrote Wolfen. Wolfen, okay. Okay. But the book is, to me, much less compelling than the movie. And I will admit... David Bowie. David Bowie as a vampire. Peter Murphy See, in a cage singing Bell goes, he's dead. Like, oh my like, God. I only Peter care... Like, to me, The Hunger is a short film. It is. It is. It is completely a short film um, for me. Oh, my God. He still has those cheekbones. He does. But so, I mean, The Hunger has given us that... The movie has given us that incredible, iconic opening where it is oh God. David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve at this goth club looking for their next snacks and yeah, you know, bringing them home and right. then there's the bladed onk jewelry that you know every goth yeah. girl wanted to own. So, How many of those do you have? Three. Um, <laughs> Please continue. Okay. So, and, but the book doesn't have that. The, okay. book, the book has uh, John, David Bowie's character, in the book for much longer He's aging. He's you know what? I wonder if I read the book before be- I watched the movie and then was very... Maybe that's why I hate the movie. Could be. Because he he runs away from Miriam when he realizes he is aging. And a lot of the book, one of the big subplots, is him trying to destroy her. Uh-huh. I think that's why I was so pissed off. Because I think I read the book first. See, I saw the movie first. I saw the movie first. And there's the there's another plot line where there is no, just when you said that I'm like wait there is no lesbian yes, relationship wait. oh Miriam is a little like 
weirdly affectionate to Sarah, but the 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 completely yo no really this is going yeah. on relationship. There is no scene for there is no song from Turandot. No, uh, <laughs> and Miriam goes to the research center to allow them to test her and for her to be a test subject to figure out uh-huh. why. She's, why is she aging people? Yeah, why? Why? Well, no, she, you know they don't figure out she's a vampire, but why? Why is she seemingly not aging? Not aging. Everything that you're talking, I remember. And, I had to it. And also, there's a point where Miriam shows. I'm her sorry, true, this is just mind blown. <laughs> Miriam shows her true self to Sarah, <laughs> taking off her wig and her makeup because she is completely hairless and has. Enormous oh, yeah. eyes, and you're just like, like a gray alien, just like a gray alien. And look at look at behind me in little like nineteen. Oh yeah, nineteen ninety four. Yeah, or no, it was probably a little bit later than that. Yep, yep. But I've yep. got the I've got David Bowie playing the cello. Like I bought yep. that poster like right after I. But the best short film ever. Yes, I I and Magnuson, I turned it off as soon as the onks go in the sink to be watched. Thirty minutes in the hunger. Yes. Well, okay. I kind of like the scene when the monkey goes crazy. I think that's a good horror scene. That's intercut with the the opening. That is part oh, of. Is it? Yes. Okay, I like that. I enjoy the lesbianism. Mm. Yeah, works for me. That I don't really care about. I enjoy David Bowie's character deciding to uh, kill the young teenage girl who's been practicing violin with John with and Mary. Yeah, that, that's, that's heartbreaking. That, it's heartbreaking, that but it's also good. a great scene. But really, when I rewatch The Hunger, as soon as we're done with Miriam and John picking up their snack food and taking them home and eating yeah. them, and then the onks go into the sink to be rinsed from the blood, that's it. That's where the movie ends. We rewind to the beginning. Yeah. But the other thing is, uh, Sarah does not stay a vampire. She realizes that she will continue to age and she is doomed to this horrible aging half-like mm-hmm. experience, she kills herself. That's right, she does. She kills herself and the book is Miriam going on. Huh. And apparently there's a sequel, which I have And Miriam doesn't have an attic full of dead guy, of old guys? Um, I mean, no more than the rest of us do. We don't talk about that. <laughs> also, I don't have an attic. I have a basement. Sometimes I just go there. And feel a little sad. And then the curtains wave in, in the breeze. and <laughs> Your candelabra is going to set that nightgown on fire. I, I know, I know. But so, yeah, in the book, Miriam is the one who lives and goes off into, you know, her next beautiful fog-shrouded apartment. I'm still just mind-blown because everything that you're talking about, I completely remember. And then I completely being remember being so angry when I watched the film because I expected, I think, so much more from Bowie. right. And the thing, one of the things that I keep looking at is I've I've got one of the I think it's like the one of the first edition paperbacks where it's got the the die cut. It's got a die cut cover and it's great. But there's an edition out there that has uh, Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie on the cover from <laughs> from the club scene. And I'm like, but maybe I want that edition more. I don't need multiple editions because I, I don't reread it, it that much. If I ever see it, I will pick it up for you. Every time it's it pops up on the, the La Creperie store, I'm like, I can't justify this. I can't. I, Does it have photos from the movie? No, okay, I can't justify I've got it. a couple. Of, I, I know you're hitting a point where you, you don't want more things in your house that, um, that you don't need, but I found like a really early, if not first printing of My Sweet Audrina on, in hardcover 
Yes, you should have called me! Oh, I just know you're trying to get rid of stuff. I know, but there are certain things... Just stop it. You stop enabling. You stop addicting. <laughs> okay, fine. Unless it's copies Don't of Dracula. Don't make this couch around and take you girls back home. Okay, it's it, fine. Fine. I will go home and hug my stacks of vintage gothic romances and poo and rock back and forth. All right, fine. So, okay, okay, you, Jen. Um, I am... Hmm. I have this like long list, and I'm I'm like I want to pick out my precious babies. Um, I think I am gonna go with. I think a movie that doesn't get talked about as much anymore, but I absolutely, but I I loved the book and I love the movie is the Dead Zone, and I feel like yes. Oh, I almost put that on, but I was trying really hard to avoid Stephen King because I know you had already done a podcast but then I started with The Shining so obviously I'm not to be trusted <laughs> but I almost put The Dead Zone on my list because I really do love that movie it's great it is it is really fantastic and I, uh, the thing I really appreciate too is well number one Walken. I was going to say Christopher Walken. Yes. Well Cronenberg directed and The Dead Cronenberg, Zone didn't he? Which is really surprising. And he really reined it in. He did. Cronenberg um, directed that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the things that I really like is it's one of the few movies, movies or TV shows or anything that deals with someone who's been in a coma, it ruining your body. And they don't just hop up from the coma and like go on with their like life. Like in Kill Bill where she just hops up from I'm that coma. coma. All right, I'm gonna it also happens in a Steven Seagal movie where he's been in a coma for years and he wakes up and the only way you can tell is because he's got a beard. Yeah. I'm like, Great shape, my no. butt off, stamina to spare. I'm like, no, 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 you do not. Your muscles like, are going like to be atrophied. Up. Yeah, sitting up is going to be hard right now. And it's one of the few that, that deals with that. And it also, you know, it just deals with the the, the horror of knowing things and and yeah. potentially not being able to do anything about, about things that are really important. And just, you know, how the rest of the world looks at him and the people who don't believe him and the people that do believe him and and the horror of, you know, him being in a coma for years and the love of his life moved on. I mean, it's terrible. It, it's terrible. Right. Um, but it's just... Completely well- understandable, yeah. but terrible. Yeah. And it's just, it's a it's a well-paced and I've, I've watched it recently, probably in the last couple of years, not like in the last year. Um, and I still found it just as enjoyable as the first time I saw it. Um, but it really starting from, like, how much I really loved the book. Um, I think other than the other, I think a lot of the books that I'm, I'm, or a lot of the movies I'm going to talk about are actually ones where I have. Right. It looks like you started the opposite end of me. I started with the movie. I, I, I started with movies, and then I was like, oh, and I have read this book, and I really enjoyed it. So... Yeah, there's, well, you've got to think about the fact that I'm but, from this really small town, and, like, there was, right. you know, I, I loved I loved horror, and the one thing that did exist in my school library was Stephen King. Right. I have a couple that are based on books that aren't in English, Ooh. so I have not read those, but... <laughs> Bring it on! Um, I'm going to skip these vampire movies here. We'll get back to those later. I've got a movie called Eyes Without a Face by George Franju. Have you seen that? I've seen yes. the movie. It's, it's amazing. It's a short, sweet, mad scientist story. His daughter has a horrible skin disease, but he thinks he can graft another face onto her. And, and, so he, he, as a, and he goes out and starts bringing women, murdering women. And she goes through surgery after surgery, and they and, all go wrong. And they all go wrong. Yep. 
and she's so much it's suffering. A French film, and she suffer. The daughter suffers so much through yeah. the film, and it's absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, it's, the final shot in that film mm. is just gorgeous and heartbreaking, yeah. and. It's I have not thought about that movie for years. Yeah. I only wow. saw it in the last couple it's, of years. It's so. really good. And like I said, I like it because it's not a very long film. It's very much a black and white science fiction grand guignol style mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. But the director has made it into this beautiful, beautiful thing. Despite the fact that you've got a guy killing women and cutting their faces off. Yeah. Um, and it's all for love for his daughter. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is based on a book by someone named Jean Redon. came out in 1960. And because it's a foreign film, I think a lot of people that are into horror haven't watched it. Because Eyes Without a Face, you're immediately going to associate it with a Billy Idol song. Yeah. Yes. Which is not... It, which has the same title, but I don't think Billy Idol saw the movie either. I'm calling <laughs> you out, Billy Idol. Um, but yeah, it is a classic that I believe ranks up with a lot of the Universal Monster movies as something you should have seen. Yeah, it's always on mentioned on uh, in like classic horror movie canon, and anytime yeah. I've seen lists like that, it's yeah, it's mm -hmm. in there. So I just don't know a lot of people that have watched it. Huh. Not horror fans okay. that I've interacted with. Okay. We'll take a poll at Crypticon. Hey, there we go. <laughs> so, so that's that that's my one of my foreign language films. So this is where I am going to hold forth and rant a bit, and I know Rice is going to join in on this because she just sure. waved a title at me. So there has never been a faithful adaptation of Dracula. Okay. Never Ever, nope. ever, nope. and even the Francis Ford Coppola movie *Bram Stoker's Dracula*, super pretty, super lurid, nothing to do with the book. Whole bunch of stuff that's just love story, I, love story between Dracula and Mina. I love that movie. Oh, so do I. I, I own the restored so Blu-ray. But I'm telling you, there's some bad acting in it. There is some amazingly bad but there's acting. Some great bombast. It is. Too, it is full it of bombast. It's so. It is. It is very long. Uh, the I remember when I showed it for your birthday. I, <laughs> I appreciate you doing that. Two thirds of the way through, I'm just like, God, God damn, this movie is. It is a long so movie, long. but it's broken up by lovely appearances by Tom Waits. Yes, like that. Tom Waits as Renfield is probably one of my favorite performances as Renfield. Yeah, but it's an editor man. It really. It, it, there's a there's it, a beautiful it movie. It desperately there. needed to be edited. Yeah. There is. There's some filler. There is a lot of really sketchy attitudes towards the female characters that aren't actually uh -huh. in the book. Right. Um, That's true. And again, the they have added they've added some misogyny because they want people to know it's old timey. <laughs> the the love story between Mina and Dracula. I just that's not a thing. That's not a thing in the original novel, and I'm getting super tired of it in any Dracula adaptation that exists anywhere, be it novel, 
No. Sequel, quote-unquote. scary. Yeah, Dracula Nosferatu is... Nosferatu is a closer adaptation. Is a closer adaptation. I but love even, even though people immediately jump to the Coppola Dracula as, oh, it's not necessarily faithful, there hasn't been a faithful adaptation. The Bela Lugosi movie is... Is no, not a faithful it's not adaptation. Faithful in the least, but the, Bella, we well, yeah, Bella. The Hammer horror movies. I mean, Christopher Lee as Dracula looms large in my id, but no. Well, the Hammer horror movies were trying so hard not to retread the ground done by the Universal horror movies. Right. Like all the horror. Have you ever watched the Hammer Frankenstein movies? Yes. The horror in the American Frankenstein is all body horror. Right. It's like it's a walking corpse. But in the British movies, it's all mental horror. It's all it's mental like, horror. Ooh, he has the brain of a murderer, and it's not about the stitched together from corpses so much as what are those stitched together corpses thinking about? Exactly. And the again another adaptation of Dracula that I love for the spectacle and the bombast is the 1979 Frank Langella oh, Dracula? Because my I, God, that's a pretty movie. As we like to call it. Sexy, sexy Dracula. Because that movie was a scandal when it came out. My parents wouldn't let me watch it. Was that directed down. by Abel Ferrara? Is that a different one? I, I don't think it's Abel Ferrara. I, I don't remember. Not. All I know is the director made the artistic decision to desaturate the footage after it had been mm-hmm. shot. And while there is a actual color edition of it somewhere in the archives, he will not allow it to be released. I have yeah. seen some shots of the original footage. It's too bright. And, no, it's, no, you can see set detail. God damn it! Wow. But it's it's a surprise, and it's also based off the stage play because mm-hmm. you've got the uh, Lucy is Doctor Seward's daughter, mm. and or no, she's Van Helsing's daughter, and it's or just something. Yeah. Something. It's all really weird. But it's beautifully shot. I am willing to overlook a lot of the, my knee-jerk, wait, this isn't actually in the novel, mm-hmm. because it is gorgeous. All it of the set gorgeous. design is based off the Edward Gorey really set design from the show. The hell I was talking about. And it's, and it's the sexy Dracula. It's See? The, it's, but it's 70s movie sexy, which means that it does not hold up as sexy by today's standards. No, it's ways. got the weird red lens psychedelic bat overlay vampire sex scene. Yes, it does. Did I tell you about when I tried to rewatch? Um, God, what was that very 90s uh, vampire movie that was done with, like, it would it would go to that white oh, rainy... Oh, is it Nadja? Nadja. Oh my oh, god! The I one, the one that was filmed on the kid, the Fisher Price digital camera, the, yeah. the digital camera that they came yeah. out with for kids, the the Pixel or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember watching that in the '90s and being like, "Oh, it's so arty." And now you're watching it; it's, like, oh. it's so hard to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I feel like that about Carl Theodore Dreyer's film Vampire. Oh yeah, from like the very dawn of sound movies it i just do not like it the one with irma vep it feels to me like a video you would buy from propaganda magazine Ooh, you are not wrong you are not wrong damn but the last time that i watched the langella dracula because of course it is one of those you know oh this is pretty video wallpaper on the background while i'm doing yeah, stuff sure. uh the husband walked into the living room to ask me a question looked at the screen right as Langella was coming on screen, and he said, what the fuck is Neil Gaiman doing on the TV? 
Well, that seems... No! And I was like... Well, he doesn't look like Neil. You were wrong. And... But he did have the same kind of... Poofy hair. I think that was what <laughs> what triggered Pete's reaction. Oh, Pete! But you know, oh, there's Pete. there are beautiful billowing gothic heroine nightgowns. Um, don't give me that look. It's it is a well done, not faithful adaptation. But I mean, even miniseries that are are Dracula adaptations are not necess- aren't ever faithful. They're basically just retelling the, the you know. They're all like, somebody told me a Dracula story, and here's my version of it. Versus yeah. like, yes. I heard it. about this Dracula thing. Let yeah. me tell you what I think happens And it. if yeah. there is ever a movie or a miniseries that is going to be more faithful, one the, the two things I really want from it are, one, that Dracula is... Fine, let him be a seductive figure, but let him be a monstrous seductive figure. Let him, let people be drawn to him against their will. That there is, you know, it's never a case of, oh, I can redeem him with my love. No, no. No, no. He is deeply wrong and a monster. Are you, like, pointing at me from, like, being really attracted to Danny Houston in 30 Days of Night? I, I am with you there, my sister. <laughs> I haven't seen 30 Days of Night. Oh, I'm a bad vampire. I'm, I'm a bad vampire fan. Whenever we rewatch that movie, I'm not allowed to imitate the vampire noises, because Pete's really freaked out that I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the vampires are—it's—it's it's not a terribly good movie, but the vampires the are amazing. Vampires are great. They are but, monsters. So yeah, I want that. This is an alluring and completely horrifying creature, person slash. They are—they are in no way a a good person or yeah. someone you should be attracted to or even interested in spending time with. And the other thing I want—well, okay, there, there are two other things I want. I want—I want. I want Lucy to not be portrayed as either an airhead or a slut, or a slut yeah. because those are, are not aspects of her in the book. Yeah. In the book, she's a little frivolous, but she's a Victorian woman who's been raised in a wealthy environment. Yeah, so and there's. You're going to be. And she's frivolous because she's been raised upper class. Upper class. She? Yeah, she's upper class. Yeah. And the other thing I desperately want, and I'll never get it is that they... And this is one that is would not be faithful to the novel, where Van Helsing is not the lolcat. Because Clea Linda once pointed out that really Van Helsing speaks in lolcats throughout the entire book in every adaptation, and now I can never unsee or unhear that. I, it's, I can has wooden steak? Yes! Oh you can goodness. has garlic! <laughs> oh and it's just, it's just one of those things where I'm like... Oh man, that's it. That's that's all I have right now. Okay, but th- yeah, I I desperately want a faithful adaptation, and even like stage productions and ballets I've seen aren't yeah. faithful. Mm-hmm. Again, they're beautiful, but they're not faithful. Again, there's a, there's a great radio play of it by the Mercury Theater where Orson Welles plays Dracula, which I'm very fond of, but not entirely faithful to the book. Yeah, the the but Orson Welles as Dracula. The other someone who could play Dracula, and I will tie this back to my usual wittering about my TV fandom, there was an interview with Maz Mikkelsen recently where the interviewer asked him, you know, what, what roles out there, what classic roles out there that you'd be, you know, you'd want to play? What is a what is an ideal role? And he said, I want to play Dracula. I really want to play Dracula. I even got the fangs. All a fanable fandom fandom just kind of lost their collective yeah, minds. I, I didn't 
I wasn't even on the internet that day, and I felt a disturbance in the force. <laughs> I I showed the the quote to to the husband, who was who was pretty much just eye rolling at this point about my Hannibal fandom, and he looked and he said. I'm surprised you can still talk after reading that. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> do what you want about Pete Ventures, but his eye-rolling muscles, the strongest in the country. They are. Because he gets True. lots of practice. He does. he does. He loves me, but he's really bemused by a lot of my hobbies. Yeah, I've got that same situation. Okay, I am I am done ranting about Dracula for okay. now. So, I swear. staying um, kind of in older time frame, and I am going to cheat a little bit because the novel isn't the novel isn't what the story is based on but it's so much of an inspiration that i feel like it deserves mention is uh is dragon wick um <gasps> and there there is a beautiful and i'm gonna mention it just because there is a dragon wick is- movie uh with vincent price <gasps> but i also am bringing this yeah <laughs> And then I'm also bringing it up because it was such an absolute inspiration for Crimson Peak. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's horror adjacent. Yes. But it's a gothic. Um, it is a gothic romance, I believe. But it's also mm-hmm. a murder mystery because the gothics love their murder mysteries. That they do. Damn right. Um, so it's just a, a, a real favorite of mine. And yeah, I really like it too. It's got a lot of weird languages and strange mm-hmm. words that may or may not have been made up, but I'm okay with that. I need to get a copy of it. I don't actually have the, the movie. I need it. I oh. just rented it from Scarecrow. I <laughs> want my own copy. And just because I know that I've got quite a few and I don't have a whole lot to say about Dragonwick or Crimson Peak because they've been discussed to fucking At death. Life. Yeah. Why do you two is... look at me about that? <laughs> Is um, hmm, I think I'm gonna go with uh, The Exorcist 3 um, because I loved Legion, um, and I read the book a bunch um, before the movie came out. I have never read the book, but oh my god, that is one of the scariest movies mm-hmm. ever, it's just terrifying, yeah. And uh, you know, George C. Scott, which is a big time favorite of mine, and you know. It is amazing what they accomplished with that movie. And the, the parts of it that are so terrifying, considering a whole section of the movie is reshot. Mm-hmm. After the movie um, was finished filming, they decided to beef it up a little bit. And it 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 works. Um, I think the, the dwarf portions of it are... The dwarf portions? Dwarf. Um, oh. oh, yeah, yeah, Brad Dorf. Dorf. Are... I was confused. I was like, are you thinking of a different movie? Are you sure you haven't confused it with Lord of the Rings? Yes. Um, I just, you know, and, and I know it was thrown in there because I really wanted to have an exorcism. Um, but the, the, the mystery and the, the killings and mm-hmm. it's just... I have not seen that since it came out. The scene where oh, they're panning across I, the church, yep, and all of the religious figures are there, and one of them has a horrible grin on its face, like the Joker, and they just pan fast it, past it quickly. It doesn't stop on and it. There's that just is so, many so terrifying creepy. Moments. It just gets you. You know the dream sequence, and then oh, it's just I the Scream Factory oh, day. Oh, lady on the crawling on the ceiling. The is no, thank you. Um, will I've, you please reshow? Will yeah. you please show that for Friday night? Yeah, and I've got um, I've got the Scream Factory, so it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Good. You know, and Scream Factory also did a beautiful um, of uh, Changeling, which is also. I'm, am I misremembering that that was also from a book? I, I don't remember. Maybe don't I'm remember. wrong. 
Uh, but regardless, uh, you know, I, I never need any real impetus to uh, go from one George yeah. C. Scott movie to another. George right. C. Scott's amazing. So you've um, watched Anatomy of Murder, right? Of course I have. Oh, he's so young in there. <laughs> he's a baby George C. Scott. Do you know why I watched Anatomy of a Murder? Underpants. No, that is not why. <laughs> I watched an. I watched Anatomy of a Murder because I went to this video store and this amazing girl woman. said, you got to watch this movie. It's got exactly. underpants in it. The reason that the underpants are important is because there Didn't is... They a, call them panties. They call them panties. And at the beginning of the trial, one of the... Um, um, James Stewart comes up and says, look, this is, a, this is a serious trial. This is a rape and murder situation. Yeah. And I want to get this out in the air. One of the key pieces of evidence is a pair of women's panties. So if you're going to laugh at the word panties, do it now and get it out of your system because this is the word we're going to describe them with. Yeah. And I really love that scene. Right. Yeah. That's a great scene. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's, it's, it's super it's long. But it's, it's, it's long, but it's, um, is, it, is it Lee Remick? No, who's the... Uh, yeah. Lee Remick is the woman yeah. whose husband has murdered a man. And the question that the court is considering is whether he murdered the man because the man had raped his wife and he was in a state of mental breakdown after having heard this, right. or whether or not his wife was just slutting around. Right. Right. Yeah. Beautiful jazz score. Yeah. It's just fantastic. So, on with you. I have a whole bunch. I have so much stuff. I have yeah. so much stuff. So I'm going to kind of divide things up by yeah. author. Because H.P. Lovecraft is an author who has had many, many films made of his work. I think it might be public domain now because people are all over the Lovecraft wagon. And most of those films are terrible. You are not wrong. There are not three wrong. Lovecraft films that I feel are worth mentioning and worth seeing. One of them is from the 80s and it's called The Resurrected. Oh, stars, that one's really yeah, good. It's based on the case of Charles Dexter Ward, and it stars Chris Sarandon as Charles Dexter Ward. It hits all the beats in the story, and it has some half-formed creatures that are some of the best and most disturbing practical effects ever. So I love that movie unreservedly. It's really great. I got to see the director's personal cut of it a few years ago, which was all marked up with things uh, that I had to cut out. It's a very different movie because it's arranged differently, although most of the scenes are there. Uh, the director's cut of the movie is more of a film noir detective movie. They're both really good, but it's definitely worth seeing. Um, the other, there's two more that are good. Um, I'm teaching a class on folk horror, and it makes me very angry that I forgot to include this movie. But the movie Dagon mm -hmm. oh. is very classic folk horror. A guy comes to a town, he finds out a bunch of people are going to this weird church, and he slowly discovers the secrets of this little fishing village he's staying in. And it's a great adaptation. Um, it's really got some scary stuff in it. And it is a great folk horror film. So I, I really like it for that. And then the last one is a shorter film that came out a few years ago that was made by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. And it is the silent version of Call of Cthulhu. It's a silent, black and white Call of Cthulhu with a big claymation monster. And it is 
it's only like 30 minutes long or so. It's amazing. There was another film that they did that I really, really liked. Something oh, yeah, in the it dark was or, uh, Lurker, um, Lurker in the Dark. Yeah, Lurker in, yeah, I think it was. Oh. It was, I th- it was, I think so. Yeah, it's re- it's also really good because it's basically the premise of Lurker, the off-screen premise that is never mentioned in the film is back when they were censoring films heavily during the Hayes Code, this film was sent in for censorship, but they never got to it. It got lost somehow. Uh, we have just found it, and we're going to show it to you uncensored. And, I, and it's I'm really, really struggling because there's dark in there, and I'm not sure if it's, it might be. I don't know what it is either, and I really I will, like I it. will find it. Uh, um, the director's name is Andrew Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N, if you want to look it up. I will Google. But yeah, that's uh, 2005 it, it, Silent it Call of Cthulhu is my third favorite Lovecraft movie. Huh. It manages to catch all the beats in the story. It's got the big scary Cthulhu monster. It's got some swamp cultists. It's got everything you need. We should watch <laughs> it sometime cause at sure. movie night because it's only like, it's like an hour long at the most. Huh. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see that. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to go with some Lovecraft movies because there's so many bad ones. I feel like the ones that are good need to be called out. Yes. So that you don't find yourself watching Call Girl of Cthulhu and wanting to pull your eyes out of your head. I'm going to assume that's a real movie. It is a real movie. Wow. It's so bad. I salute your dedication to the cause. I have not actually watched it. Okay. I just noticed it when I was looking for movies based on books. It came up in my list and I was like, well, I'm not watching that. Wow. That's... Wow, that's deeply so unsettling. Do you, do you um, I do, and they are actually. This is not. This is another twofer, and it's not the vampire genre. Fear me, um, Clive Barker. So Hellraiser. Oh, the Hellraiser. The first three. The first three are very faithful, in part because a Clive wrote the screenplays. I can't remember if he directed all three, but I know he directed the first one. Mm-hmm. And they're so David Cronenberg. They are well. That's, that's. I mean, I know that that's Clive's aesthetic. Yeah, that's Clive's aesthetic. Um, there's a whole lot of Clive's id on screen right there, especially in Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, their parts of that movie have still held up really well. I would love to see a remake of it, just with slightly better production values. There's that scene where that skeleton slowly slowly forms on the floor by pulling stuff to it. Yeah. Yes. And I know that's done by melting wax and then showing the film backwards, but man, that scared me when I was a kid. Was... I was so horrified by that. You know, it was... So, we didn't have a, a, a VCR until I was like in 10th grade, and... And so I would go and I would rent horror movies, and a lot of times my family didn't like no or sit, care. watch yeah. yeah yeah. So, but the thing is, is the first three movies I'd always watched my watched by myself in the dark. Like either I would I had to take the movie back, nope. and so I would I would get up at four and watch the movie really quick before school before I had to take the movie back, or I would watch them after everybody had gone to bed. So the first like three movies I saw entirely by myself, like in the dark, in those hours of the dark when things aren't happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, where it makes the it bad better. hours of the dark when yeah. it's quiet except for something <laughs> scary. Yeah. So yeah. But the thing is I never found Hellraiser scary. And that's probably because I read the Hellbound Heart. Mm-hmm. The, when it that. came out. Oh yeah. So, so I knew what I was getting. Yeah, into. I knew what I was getting. Um 
And I just, I really liked it. The Whisperer in the Darkness. Was Whisperer the in the Darkness. Okay. Yes. And it, it's just so well done. It really feels completely cut out of that era. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's just super so low budget, lovely. but it looks like an actual 1930s film. Movie. It was so They wonderful. do amazing stuff. Yeah, it was I, fantastic. I would really, I want to see it again. Because didn't you show it at home? I did. Yeah. I had to borrow it from a friend. I need to yeah. watch it to rewatch it too. I don't think I own it either. But I know I, I may yeah. own Silent Call because that right. seems like me. But the, the other Clive Barker work, of course, is Nightbreed, Cabal. which is based off Cabal. And for the fact that a whole bunch of the plot elements of the novella of Cabal are kind of smushed in together, yeah. it works really well. It works really well, but don't you just want to watch a show about those awesome monsters? Yeah, I... See, I... The way that you imprinted on Dracula is how I imprinted on Midian. Right. Um, because I wanted to live where the monsters live. Well, yeah. They're awesome, and they have a whole necklace made out of bird heads. Yeah. I know so I wanted, I wanted, Well, one of them. I know people I who can make that away. for you. I wanted to run away to right. Midian. Um, interestingly, when... Who was it that did the the re-release, the beautiful... So the remastered... The remastered. And the Scream, Scream Factory did Scream. one, and then they also released a Cabal cut that was only available like if you were part of the the group right I've, I've got the screen factory one yeah and when i got it and we re- rewatched it and there's it's such a better story it is mm-hmm. but there's those opening credits where it's all you see the monsters and midian running and across the screen mm-hmm. and so when we were watching it pete's like that's what i wanted yeah. that's what i wanted the movie to be i didn't yeah. care about anything else really i don't want to hear that yeah Kind of like with Near Dark, when you don't want that kid, that normal human oh, kid. We, we just have some vampire adventures where we go to bars and then tell people we don't like it when they, we don't like it if they ain't been shaved. Can we have more of that and less of yeah. whiny boy not killing anybody? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a summation of that the entirety of my feelings on Near Dark. <laughs> but when I first saw Nightbreed, um, I was dating someone who was a big horror movie fan, and we it was a huge snowstorm. We hiked in the snow to go to the movie theater to go watch it, and I had read the novella. He hadn't. So the, the entire time I'm like, but, but, uh-huh. but we, however, we, we, David Cronberg as yeah. Buttonface. Yeah. So good. I would Fine. love to see, I would love, not not Cronenberg's doing crime dramas now and serious films. But I would have loved to have seen Cronenberg in his prime adapt a Clive Barker story. Oh, man. That would have been amazing because they do have such a similar aesthetic sensibility. And I would want it to be adapt a short story. Because yeah, not, a, yeah, just, not any of the doorstop novels. No, no novel. No I, novel. I am just going to return to um, tonight really, really, really briefly that... Um, the thing is with the original cut of Nightbreed is you felt shorted mm-hmm. um, because it just didn't feel like the right story. Right. And then we honestly, I, I, I can't, there's no one who saw that who didn't want that sequel. Yeah. And I felt like, no, felt this robbed. is not over. This doesn't just yeah. stop here. You can't give us just this much. Well, and, that's and, what you get in the novella. Yeah. I know. There's, there's no sequel. I saw I the movie first. Then I'm like, I'll get the book, and then I'll find out what happens. But no, I'm robbed again. Oh, the horror. The tragedy. Uh, One of the times that I... 
I swear to God, I don't mean to name drop like this, but one of the times I got to hang out with Clive Barker, I did like flip him shit about when are you going to write the sequel? When are you going to write the next part of the Cabal story? What happens? And he just, you know, he sipped his gin and tonic and gave me a big smile and said, no. And I'm like, I hate you. I hate you so much. Busy hanging out at home painting giant dicks on. On monsters? Well, look, we all have our aesthetic. That's his hobby. I support him in his in his aesthetic. Bless him. So everybody needs a hobby. They can't show dicks on monsters. Yes. What I really one of the things I enjoyed about the um, Sabrina series on Netflix was that all of the paintings in the witch school are original Clive Barker paintings. Oh, that's amazing! Oh. And so every time I walk past, I'm like. Oh yeah, there's that Clive Barker painting I've seen. That's awesome. So I enjoyed I, that. I enjoyed all the little things about yeah. it that they're literally it's ceiling, such a, it's the such ceiling a from Suspiria. Yeah, and uh, the next season is coming out really shortly. the The Christmas episode was fantastic. I'm very excited um, about it. I know it's not for you. I generally. wish. I wish. Yeah, we wish too. Um, the next one I'm going to bring up, which I have read the book and and saw the movie, is The Legend of Hell House. Oh man. Not to be confused with The Haunting of Hill House, as I always get them confused. Yes, they are very different. And the Haunting is also a good movie that's an adaptation of a book. book. Yes. I was also, you know what, I'm going to throw those both out together. They are both on my list, and they both have little little, little marks by them that I wanted right. to bring and they're out. both about groups of psychics going to investigate a house and getting in over their heads. Very different stories. Yes, very, very different, stories. different stories. Yeah, one is by Robert Block, yeah. who wrote Psycho. Among other things. No, the Hell House is Matheson? is Matheson. Oh, it's Matheson? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, you're right, it is. I love Richard Matheson. He's not as devoted to having a terrible punchline at the end of his stories as is Robert Block. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and I just remember when I showed it and you were like, oh, the, the clothing. The clothing, her <laughs> 60s weird... <laughs> Psychic, you know, high pointy collar yeah. clothing. Yeah. God, I want. There's yeah. some great stuff in that movie. And the fact that one of the psychic investigators looked like a 20 year old version of my husband, that was really <laughs> disconcerting. <laughs> was it Roddy McDowell? <laughs> yeah. I know some stories about Roddy McDowell. <laughs> it was very I weird. I share them on a podcast lest a child be listening. It was to very weird time. for me. I'm like, wait, now I've seen photos of Pete that kind of look like that. Maybe when huh. he was a little tiny. Oh, is it my turn? It is. Um, I'm kind of running out of movies okay. here, but I've got um the Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe movies. Oh, I've recently rewatched all of them. I taught a class on them, and the, there was one I had never seen before, and I finally got to see it when I was teaching the class on it, and it is Tomb of Lygia. And oh, oh my yeah. god, it is so perfect. A lady faints in a graveyard and Vincent Price picks her up and walks across to the ancient fallen abbey carrying her in his arms. And that's all you need. That is the dream, need. man. That, that is, is the, the dream. ultimate dream. <laughs> and of course, he's got problems with his dead wife coming back to haunt him. But Who doesn't? He's carrying you across a graveyard in his arms while you're wearing a Victorian riding habit that is gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you, Roger Corman. It was one of the few films that Corman was able to shoot on location in England. And the reason he only did a couple of those films there was because the English film, he claimed that the English film crews insisted on having breaks. <laughs> Whereas he could shoot an Amer a movie in America in three days, it would take him like two weeks in England. <laughs> did I t I've actually listened to, so Jim for uh, Christmas bought me 
um, Vincent Price reading his cookbooks. That's right. Um, oh. And and he because he works at a college that has like an audiovisual program, he was able to record them all to MP3. And mm. so there's my one of them. He's doing in an accent, and I don't know what the fuck he's saying, but it's Vincent Price, and who cares? I have a record of Vincent Price reading a Black Mass. Ooh. You what now? I don't know where it is. I haven't been able to find it, but I know I have it. You will find that. I that know. is your next job. You will find <laughs> that, and we will get people to digitize it for us. I have a digitizer. I need that. I do too. I've never even listened to it. You what? See, the, I didn't have a record if player. If you can see the grabby hands right now, I am revoking your golf card. I didn't have a record player when I got it, and when I got a record player, couldn't find the record. I am revoking your golf card. The Elder Goth Cabal is going to have words with there you. There is no Elder Goth Cabal. You are right. <laughs> I am revoking your golf card. <laughs> you can't do that. I, I think if she owns the record, I I don't. I think own the can. record. If you anytime. <laughs> I want my golf card back. All I have to do is it's like play that record for a minute. <laughs> You'll get your copy. You'll get your golf card back when you find the damn record. Did you have any other movies? No, no, and I, I affronted it, Ryas. Nope. The only one I have to left front. is uh, the Island of Lost Souls from 1932, which is an adaptation of Island of Doctor Moreau that stars Charles Lawton as Doctor Moreau. It's got the sexy cat lady, who no one knows is a cat lady until it's too late, and they're already sexing it up. And uh, it's got our good old pal Bella Lugosi as the mm-hmm. Speaker of the Law. And, and it's, it's really good, and it's only about an hour long, and it's been released on Criterion in a beautifully restored edition. Mm. So there's that. Uh, and I'm going to have a ton of other ones that I could um, mention, but I think they've all been talked about. I am just going to wrap everything up with burnt offerings. Oh, oh I have that book. Oh, 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 uh, Valancourt Books is releasing that as part of their Paperbacks from Hell line with wow. the original cover art. Oh, I'm I think fairly I still have my certain. Original hardback somewhere. I, I was just going to say, I have, I, I've I got have a hardback. Hardcover that, and uh, I also have a hardcover of Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane, which is <laughs> a weird movie. <laughs> That's, that's, a, that's an movie. upsetting movie. Yeah, it is. You haven't seen the European cut with oh. the sex scene. Nope, nope, nope. The actress wasn't of age yet, so they got her sister, who had just turned eighteen, to do the nude scene. Yeah, that's Ooh. what they did with Pretty Baby too. Yes. And they had, was it? Well, Brooke no. Shields' cousin or something? That, something like that. that. None of that okay. Mm-hmm. None of that. But, oh, really Burnt good. Offerings. Burnt Offerings is oh. such an amazing film. Such an amazing cast. Karen Black. Yeah. Rod. Uh, no, um, Oliver, Oliver Reed. Reed. Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed. Ben Davis. Like, oh, my God. The scene of him in the pool with his son where it starts out playful and he starts getting and then he just violent. starts actually starting to drown him. Yes, terrifying. Because you have a feeling that Oliver Reed kind of had that in his nature to begin with, yeah. and you're a little worried about the child actor to tell the truth. <laughs> All right. Well, I am so glad we did this. Um, and one of the inspirations for doing this is that uh, Jillian Rias have a podcast on their own uh, called The Night Library. Yes. Um, if you guys wanted to kind of talk about a little bit what you cover in The Night Library. Rias and I both got copies of the of Grady Hendrix's awesome book, Paperbacks from Hell, 
And when we both paged through it, we were like, I read that, I read that, I read that. We were very, it was very much a parade through memory lane. I'm like, I remember that half-skeleton rabbit. Yes. That book's cover scared me when I was a kid. And then I read the book. And then Rias very cleverly said, well, we've read all these. We should go back and revisit them and talk about them. And so we do a podcast where we go back and revisit them and talk about them. And some of them are amazingly good books. And some of them are... Terrible. Terrible. That's uh, honestly my inspiration for starting this podcast, because I'm like, I'm going to sit and talk about horror movies anyway. I might as well have a mic yeah. up there. Yeah. So, yeah, we do have a, a podcast called The Night Library. You can get it on www.nightlibrary.org. You can get it on your regular iTunes, iTunes, iTunes podcast network. Sure, you go network. and get your podcast. In fact, you're better off getting it from iTunes or your other podcast networks because the website is plagued with difficulties. <laughs> it's almost as though it's run by someone who doesn't know anything about websites. I am not taking over the project for it. No, I don't know no. what that's like at all. Thank God I have people. But yeah, we the most recent one we recorded was the Wilding. Where we were completely baffled by well, that the book. The book was terrible, and we really didn't like it. We didn't. It's a short episode. Yes. We couldn't think of anything to say. <laughs> um, but the next one we're doing is going to be about Shirley Jackson. Oh, and we're probably going to... We're definitely doing We Have Always Lived in the Castle. I was thinking of maybe just rereading The Haunting of Hill House. I can do that now that my husband is back from his two-week trip right. out of the country. Right, that we could reread a couple of books and then... Because we want to talk more about women authors this year. It's one of the things we want to do. So we're thinking of maybe doing just a Shirley Jackson episode. Which I am all for. And this reminds me, just when we are done recording here, I have a book suggestion and you can throw things at me if you want. Okay. And on that note, talk (laughs) to you next week. Don't Read the Latin can be found at don'treadthelatin.com. On Twitter at DRTL Podcast, on Tumblr, or at Facebook.com slash Don't Read the Latin. Please rate us on iTunes and tell your friends and themes about us. We're dying to meet them. <laughs>